Welcome to Swordnet Radio. This episode is a system spotlight for Fate Core and Fate Accelerated. This is intended as reference material for people who want to learn the mechanics of the game or want to understand what it is we're doing when we play the game without us explaining all the rules in every episode. Hi, I'm Paul. I'm a DM for the 5th edition campaigns. Hi there, I'm Alex. I just sit here and play the games. <laughs> and so much more. And tonight we're going to do a system spotlight on Fate. Fate Core is a system uh, that we have used for the Mist in the Mirror, and we'll be using for a lot of other things if you're listening in the future. Hello, future people. It's a game by Evil Hat Productions, and it's written by Ryan Macklin, Mike Olson, Brian Engard, Jeremy Keller, and Leonard Balsera. I'm probably mangling all of those names. And presided over by Fred Hicks. Okay, so shall we shall we continue with the the interview as it were? Yep. If you had to sum up the Fate game in one sentence, how would you do it? Okay, uh, I give this one some thought. So in Fate, character gives you power, stories build your character, and everything is a story. What's the basic game mechanic? Well, uh, the first thing that is basic to the game is that uh, you roll some special dice. You have an economy system. You have a dice system. And then you have a stat system, and um, they all interact with each other. You roll a fate dice. Some people call it a fudge die, uh, based on its its previous incarnation as the game Fudge, or the system Fudge, rather. And it's a six-sided die with two plus signs, two minus signs, and two blank sides. You roll four of those. Anytime you want to make any sort of roll, you roll four fate dice. You aggregate the results, so if you get two pluses, two minuses, it's a wash. If you get three pluses and one minus, it's two pluses. And what that means is that you've got a bell curve of probability, rather than um, a straight one to twenty probability like you would rolling a d20. You have skills and circumstances that will modify that roll, and you will have um, a thing called fate points which you can spend in order to alter the circumstances that you're in. All right. What's unique about fate apart from the dice? The aspects. The the idea is that it's a storytelling based system. Everything is described in aspects, in 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 ways to describe something. Um, the first time I heard the the term aspect, it seemed like a very esoteric thing to me. But once you know what it is, you will end up framing everything you ever do in terms of aspects. So it is something that you can sum up. A character, a thing, or a situation, um, or a part of that character, thing, or situation, in a short, pithy phrase, so a couple of words at maximum. So, the aspect of of this recording session, for example, would be uh, failing with the script, you know, or <laughs> the the aspect of a D and D game would be let the dice roll, that that sort of stuff. Okay. So if our listeners were thinking about setting up their own fake game, how would they start setting it up? Okay, well, fate takes the idea of setting a game up as being part of the game, and it's not to be done in isolation. This is one very unique thing about it. Is when you sit down to make a game, you generally don't know what that game is going to be. The, the GM, the players, all sit down and discuss amongst themselves what kind of game they want to play, how highly powered they want it, what kind of flavour they want to have, you know, whether you want to do a modern thing, whether you want to do um, a fantasy setting, whether you want to do a sci-fi, whether you want to do dark, brooding storylines or horror, whether you want to do um, you know, swashbuckling, high adventure, 
or whether you want a mystery to solve. You know, it's all up to you. Once you determine that, you kind of set a power level. And that is the first bit of crunch you're going to come to. And it's kind of how highly charged do we want these players to be? How high do we want their skills to be allowed to get? And how much of this fate point um, economy, you know, stuff can you give these people? Um, so how much ability players have to alter the reality that they're in? So you have these phases of game creation. And that's and it's supposed to be given that you know your first session will be create the game and maybe some and some settings in it your second session will be character creation for example if you embrace all of them in the, in the sense of you know this is all part of the game then it can be very entertaining so what you do is you set up your let's say your your city creation your your area creation you know whatever it is that is going to be the setting that you're going to go into so you've decided the flavor decided what kind of game you want now you're going to create um a setting you know with with some bones in it let's say uh, let's let's take an example here and and say it's going to be a, a modern noir detective sort of game so you want to create a city to be in first off before you can create a character you need to know where they live so we create a city and in that phase you tell stories about the city so you come up with the basic stuff where it is when it is what kind of city is, and then start telling stories about it. And from those, you develop aspects. They give you a lot of examples in the Fate Core book, which is things like um, a city under threat or on the brink or something like that. And so um, before you've just really decided what it is about this town that's that's very interesting or very specific, you start with the general things. Like, um, I, I feel like we need something where it's going to be um, it's it's supernaturally charged or whether it's mundane or something you know something like that mm-hmm. um you know or how corrupt that sort of stuff so you'd start saying things like an enemy behind every door as a, as an aspect to this city and then where do you go from there it's all just about riffing off each other giving giving each other ideas at this stage and you start coming up with what's called places and faces so you come up with specific places within your city once you've kind of figured out what's going on there with all the city aspects you then go to places and faces and places will be exactly what it seems like, you know, locations, um, districts, uh, going off the city idea, looking at ways in which you can describe those those things, and alongside that, looking at faces. So the the big actors in this world that you're going to have, or the people in the story you're going to have, who is it that's going to appear in this? Who is important in your world? And those things feed off each other as well. So, you know, you've got, you've got to have loads of index cards, and only ever use pencil because you're going to rub that stuff out and, and trade things back and forth and really brainstorm it. And you give those places and faces aspects as well. Now, you don't have to bottom everything out. This is the this is the great thing is you can just keep adding and, and subtracting as you go. So you're adding color to the world. Once you're reasonably finished putting together the city, the places and the faces, then you're going to start to think about the story in that and that's going to come out again you go back to the story come back to the places and faces back to the story back to the city and go back and forth like that at the point where you're kind of happy you know once you've bashed that out to a reasonable degree you're going to start thinking about characters and this process really helps because once you start thinking about places and faces the characters will start gelling in your mind and everyone creates characters once you start creating a character it starts getting a bit more crunchy in fake core a character has five aspects. The first aspect 
is your high concept. Now that is a short description of the very core of your character. It's kind of the race and class part of, of the character sheet. It's, um, so if, if you were, um, doing this noir city type thing, you might say, um, heartbitten PI, you know, and, and that would be your high concept. Uh, or you might be, um, uh, rookie cop with a heart of gold kind of thing. Um, or something, anything, you know, uh, a gangster wants to go straight, you know, um, mm. that, so whatever it is that is the defining thing and you try and sum it up in as few words as possible. And we'll come into why later. So you kind of want them vague, but you kind of want them, um, specific as well. It's, it, it's, it, it's an odd dichotomy. So after you've done your high concept, you need a trouble. This is your second aspect. And the trouble is the thing that draws you into the story. It's, or the thing that generally, the thing that generally gets you into trouble. So it might be that you have a conscience. It might be that you have connections uh, that you'd rather not have. Uh, it could be that you have an ancient gypsy curse. Anything at all that generally gets you moving. It doesn't have to really have anything to do yeah, with the, the story. The general thing that gets you moving, like an ancient gypsy curse. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Happens to me every other week. Yeah. Um, so it, say if you wanted to do superpower uh, stuff, then... Uh, you know, you can be superheroes. You know, you don't have to do realistic stuff. You can be, you know, all sorts of outlandish things. So maybe your trouble is your weakness. Um, so maybe, um, you know, Superman's trouble aspect would be, uh, would either be Kryptonite or it'd be Lex Luthor. Superman, or no, Superman's trouble would be, um, I have to be better because, you know, that, that means that he can't kill. It means that he can't, yeah. you know, um, just do things the easy way and be destructive. So that would be his trouble, for example. But if you're playing Harry Dresden, for example, it's like, it's uh, trouble finds me. Uh, it would be your trouble. Or, you know, if, if, if you've got something like a, you know, a low level character, so I've got a point to prove. I need to make a name for myself. That, that would be maybe a trouble. And there's a lot of blur between the aspects as well. So, you know, something that defines you might be something that is getting you in trouble. So, you know, th there is, there is a lot of room for wiggle between all of these. So once you've got your trouble sorted out, you have your first phase aspect. And this is kind of your origin story, or it's the first story that your character has to tell. And it literally is a story. You, you, you tell a story. It doesn't have to be detailed, just bare bones, just enough to, you know, here, here was a plot. Here's a thing I did. This is what happened to me once. Um, because you start creating a character, you'll probably start thinking about why it is they're doing what they do. You come up with that and you try and sum that up in one sentence or less. You know, just mm. in, in like half a sentence. You know, it, it's it's a specific story as well. So you, you're getting more into the specifics of your character. And when you tell that story, and everyone else tells their stories, you have to include another person in that story. So basically, you tell the story. It's a good idea to write it down on a little index card or something. And then once everyone's done doing that and sum that up, um, to say I don't know. Um, let's say let's say um, you you used to have. You used to be a villain. You used to be a gangster or something. And so you're, you try, you're trying to get out of this, this life you're in, but mm. you are, um, so it's impossible to describe fate without actually telling stories. <laughs> so it, you've got all these nefarious you know, people that, that you know, and it could be easy just to turn state's evidence and, uh, and disappear and all that sort of stuff. But 
some of them are good guys and they're just trying to make a living and they're trapped just like you were and all that sort of stuff and so you were forced to make the make the you know make the choice between you know your security and and theirs and now you're having to tread this fine line and that's why you have to sort of walk in both worlds and so your aspect from that could be friends in low places or it could be walking in both worlds or it could be um a sheep in wolf's clothing type thing so you have to pretend that you're this still this hard gangster type guy when you're not you don't want to hurt anyone um and and you know you try to cover that sort of stuff up so you start telling that and once you're all done with that first phase you actually give them to everyone else and say well who wants to be involved in that so you need to know someone already so everyone has to know someone else and that's basically how you keep going with that because the next two aspects are people tying into your story so um if you said then okay i want to be involved in this other guy's story um what did you learn from that being in that story well that's your, that's your second phase aspect you know you came across that guy and he generated that first aspect but now you're involved in it so you've got another aspect to to, to do and you go around the table like that mm. you can also just say well sack it i'm you know this guy doesn't know anyone and i'll just write three aspects but that doesn't really that doesn't help you tell a compelling story so if you've got those three phase aspects they're called then everyone has to appear in someone else's story at least once and you must have two other people in your story in in, in your character and that that aspect doesn't have to be worded to say you know uh, something about that character you know um like murphy always has my back type thing it, it can just be the thing that you brought from that the thing that you that your character absorbed from that story. Once you've done that, everyone's tied together. All the relationships are set and you can get going in that. And you're giving the GM a lot of stuff to work with. And that's really the key thing is you're giving so much story to the GM to say, right, what particular string do I tug? Rather than how do I make you all care about this thing? How do I make all your characters care about this one thing that we're going to do? It's just there will already be things there that you care about. That's making... Going through the game and making a character, you, you can't really do either one in isolation. When you create a character, you start, you choose how many fate points each character is going to start with. And that's a thing called refresh. It's not how many you necessarily have right now, it is how many you get at the start of every session. So how many points you get when you sit down at the table. And the general rule is you start with a few stunts and a refresh of three. So you get three stunts and a, a refresh of three to get three fate points to start every session with if you wanted a higher power sort of game or a, a much more uh, dynamic game you could start by saying well everyone's got a, a refresh of five or everyone starts with a refresh of eight and from that you choose how many stunts you're going to have and you buy those stunts with one refresh with one fate point so you start with a refresh of eight you buy a stunt that says you can do a cool thing or you have a cool bit of kit and your refresh goes down down to seven and the more you buy the lower your refresh goes you always have to have a refresh of one or you simply can't do anything only npcs would have a refresh of zero well you keep talking about obviously how it's heavily story based so how does um exploration work like exploration within the story um well, the, th the three pillars, so you've got exploration, interaction, and combat, and they all work in exactly the same way. 
let's go from character creation. So once you've done your character and you've done your aspects, you then have skills. You have a certain number of points to spend, which you determine at the start, um, you know, to see how high your character is going to go up. Uh, and that's basically it. So, so you, you just spend that budget. You've got to be, uh, they call it the pyramid of skills, is that you've got to be um, average at most things, good at some things, great at you know fewer things, and then superb at maybe one or two things. And so you know, like real life, you can't be good at everything. And you have this thing called the ladder, which is a ten-point scale. Sorry, actually, let's have a look. It's uh, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, an eleven-point scale. It describes a numerical result, so going from minus two to plus eight, but each one of those is a description of a result or a, a level of effort required to do something. So it goes from terrible at minus two to poor, mediocre, average, fair, good, great, superb, fantastic, epic, and legendary. So what does that really mean? Okay, so you might have um, a skill in uh, in driving, let's say, and you are good at that. That means that's a plus three. So good is plus three. You don't actually need the numbers, by the way. You can just go up and down the ladder visually um, when you do this. So that's a good. So like we said before, you've got some fake dice. So you want to drive and lose a tail, let's say. So you're being tailed around this city and you want to lose them. So you make a driving roll and you take that good and then you roll four fake dice. And those fake dice will alter that. So if you get four pluses, which should be, you know, a great result, you, you would end up being legendary. You know, you would lose this guy like a freaking ghost. In fact, you might double round and start tailing him so that you would get shifts to that role. So you don't just beat them, you beat them by a bit. So you would get a number of shifts um, to, you know, to give you a bonus. Um, there's not too much crunch in this, so uh, we'll, we'll go through this. So your character skills, that's basically it. Your aspects, however, so if you could say, um, okay, I'm, I'm going to uh, tag the aspect of, or I'm sorry, I'm, we'll use the game terms. Uh, we're going to invoke the aspect of friends in low places. And that is, um, I get on the horn to a guy I know in this area. So I'm going to lose this guy by having a friend come along and kind of crowd him out, get, you know, get in front of him, put his brakes on, that sort of stuff. Um, because this guy owes me a favor. And what you would do to invoke that aspect is spend a fate point. And these are, this is your basic, um, unit of currency in the game is a fate point. So when you spend a fate point, a number of things happen. You can create, um, so you can give yourself an automatic plus two to any roll. So you roll and then decide that's not good enough. I want to bump it up by plus two. Here's the aspect I'm invoking. Um, it could also be a, an aspect on the scene, so maybe it's dark, maybe the streetlights are out. So that aspect is is there, given to you by the GM, um, so that you know you you know you can start tagging things, you can start invoking things, but you still pay a fate point, or you can get a reroll. You could use it to power a stunt. Now stunts are things that you would create um, to say I have a special skill to do something. You know, like once per session I spend a fate point and I can escape from any situation unless it's something to do with friends in low places. So, you know, always got a way out, for example, is a gate is a thing that you've got in the uh, Mist in the Mirror game. So you would say, um, you know, I would get a plus to this role to find a, to find a way out, but you know what? I'm going to spend a fate point on it instead. And there is a way out. Mm -hmm. There just is. 
You can also use it to declare a story detail. And that is, I know a guy here, you know, most often, or it's, I have this thing or, um, something that's, that's, you know, holding the story up and say, there's, there's this locked door here. You know, you need to go and find a combination or this, that, and the other. Uh, and you go, actually, I'm going to spend a fate point. Maybe make a, maybe make it like a, a roll on it as well, but I'm going to spend this fate point. I've got this thing that'll disable the lock or I've got some lock picks with me which enables you to do something else. So it's to be able to declare that something is true. The thing about the aspects, and the reason you kind of want them vaguely worded, is because you want to be able to invoke them in any of these situations to give you that boost. Now, this driving role might be shooting someone in the face. It might be um, swinging a sword around. And it's all the same stuff. It's all the same mechanics. So it doesn't really need explaining over and over again. Uh, combat is the same as social combat. It's the same as... Um, exploration and figuring things out the gm will say that's going to take a fantastic effort so you roll the dice you know you you figure out if you can do it or not you figure out if you want to spend the fate points to invoke all the aspects that you've got you know your um, fellow players say you know whether they want to invoke aspects to help you that's good about your aspects but what's bad about them you know in terms of your character but not necessarily in terms of the game is that they can be compelled so they need to be all worded so that they can be used against you as well as used for you. So friends in low places, for example, the GM might say to you, well, I'm going to give you this fate point so that I can compel your aspect of friends in low places that says, you owe this guy a favor, he's calling it in. Uh, or you're going to have to look the other way on this when your character kind of really rather wouldn't or your player wouldn't want to do that. You'd say, right, here's this fate point. And you get this to spend whenever you like, but you've got to do this thing. You've got to, you've got to go along with that aspect. And the GM doesn't shouldn't really sort of hose you and say you need to do exactly this, this, and this. I'm now controlling your character. They're just saying this is the element of character you're now going to play in this in this scene. Now you can either take that and do it, or you can spend a fate point. So you give him back the fate point he was going to give you, and give him one as well. So you're now down one fate point and refuse the compel and say, no, I, I don't want to do that. But you've got to spend that currency to do it. Okay? Because basically the, it, it, it's penalized because you should be moving the story forward and conflict is good for story. So, um, you know, you might as well get that fate point as a, as a little bit of a, as an incentive, but to refuse it and bog the story down, maybe, you know, um, then, then, then there needs to be a penalty for that. So, that's aspects, and that's how they, they influence actions. And there are only really ever four actions you can do. So when you roll a die, or when you roll these four fate dice, you're, you're doing one of four things. So the first thing is overcoming. So it's overcoming an obstacle. So the GM will determine what the difficulty of that obstacle is. So whether it's, you know, requires a good effort, whether it requires a fantastic effort, so um, a good would be a plus three, a fantastic would be a plus six. And you've got to match that or beat it. You could create an advantage, which is, again, you roll to uh, create some sort of advantage. You tell the GM what it is you're going to do is I'm going to distract this guy or I'm going to knock these boxes over over here um, and, that's, and thus uh, set up an aspect on the scene to say um, it's slippy underfoot or it's, it's rough terrain now. So you would roll, as the GM says, yeah, okay, that's going to take a fair effort. You roll, 
you get the fare, you knock the boxes over, now the aspect on the scene is rough terrain, that aspect can be invoked for free once. So people can invoke that aspect, say when, um, uh, you know, if, if you're trying to defend yourself against a, an attacking opponent, and you say, "Well, it's rough terrain. He's, you know, he, you know, he should be at disadvantage there." So I'm invoking that aspect of rough terrain to help defend myself. And so the GM has to accept that, and you do it for free. You don't have to pay the GM to compel the aspect. If the aspect was already there, like you, you walk into an alleyway, and the the GM describes that there's oil on the floor, so the aspect is slippy underfoot. Well. The GM's going to be compelling that against you all the time. If you want to compel that against the GM, you need to pay him fate points, just like he has to pay you. But with an advantage that you've created, you do it for free. There's an attack, which is fairly standard, um, and, and a defense. So you can attack, you can defend, you can create an advantage, and you can overcome. So when I, when I was looking at these, I was thinking, like, how would you damage someone with that? It's, it's, it's binary, it's kind of, how, how do I succeed? But what happens is a thing called shifts. So a shift is the margin by which you beat the target. So whether it's an opposed roll or whether it's a static thing that the GM's come up with, um, so you know whether an NPC is rolling against you, for example. <clears throat> Let's say you try and hit me with a sword, and I defend. So you have a, you get a fantastic, you get a plus six, but my defense is only a fair, a plus two. Okay. Um, that would mean that you would have succeeded by four shifts. There's there's a four between us. So um, good, great, superb, fantastic. That's four. So that's four shifts. Mm. So um, how does all that translate into weapon damage? Okay. So very often you will have, and this is the great thing about fate, is you decide the rules. If you want weapons to work in the sense that you get one point of weapon damage per shift, that's how it works. If you want it to be that you have a weapon that does two damage, or if you get a load of shifts on it, or you know, more than two shifts on it, it'll do three damage. Then that's how it works. But generally speaking, it's the number of shifts that you've got there. In all of those outcomes, in all four of those outcomes, you've got these, these, these. So all four actions, sorry, you've got four outcomes. So you can fail. So which means you fail the action or you succeed with a major cost. Um, so you can get the job done. So you know, you, you you manage to defend yourself. You get your shield up, but it throws your shoulder out. Or it leaves you open completely for the next blood. Something like that. So you would end up having a consequence or an aspect put against you or something in the story happens. You can tie. So, you, you know, you, you just tie the result, which means that you succeed, but it is at a minor cost. Generally, it's the players who are encouraged to come up with that. You can succeed, which is you beat it by one or two shifts, which is you succeed with no cost. Or you can succeed with style, which is if you beat it by three shifts or more. So you would come up with an additional benefit that you get. So normally in combat, that would be an aspect that you would tag someone with. So dazed, for example, would be a good aspect, um, which other people can invoke. They still have to pay to invoke, but at least you have an aspect now that you know that you can, you can get hold of. When damage occurs, and this would be, you could have social damage, you can have mental damage, you can have physical damage. So again, this is a good thing about fate is that you decide what kind of damage you're going to have when you start the game. Is it if it's all going to be physical damage or it's all going to be social damage? You're not going to have any combat, so you know let's let's just do social stuff. Or whether you're going to have 
things happening with mental combats or, or uh, you know, insanity going on, you know, if you want to play a Cthulhu-type game, then you would have, say, mental damage. And you have a number of boxes there that are determined by your skills, so if you've got um, a lot of endurance, you might have a lot of physical um, stress boxes you can, you can have. If you are particularly strong-willed, then you will have a lot of mental stress boxes or a lot of uh, social stress boxes. And if, say if you got, uh, most people have two of each. They have two physical, two, two, um, two physical and two social. If you take a stress, you can tick off the one box. You take two stress, you can take off, you tick off the two box. So the two box is worth two stresses. So if you had no stress to start with and something comes along that causes you two stresses, let's say, uh, someone calls you a very, um, very horrible name and it, and it hurts your feelings. That's two stresses. <laughs> And so you'd tick off the two box. You wouldn't tick off one and two. Okay. All this is optional as well. You could just like put a certain number of boxes down and say, well, we'll just fill them up as we go. But the, the core system is, is that you, you tick off the two to mitigate two stress. You tick off one to mitigate one. Okay. If you're out of boxes and you can't fill up those, those stress boxes anymore, those go away at the end of every scene. Sorry. Um, stress goes away at the end, at the end of a scene, um, but you have to recover from it narratively. You can't just go, "Oh, it's gone now." It's the end of the scene. You have to re- you have to say what it is you did to recover from it. If you don't have any of those stress boxes left, then you have to go into what's called a consequence. So you have mild consequences, moderate consequences, severe, and extreme. Now, a mild consequence will take away two stresses. It will deal with two stresses. Um, so stress doesn't do anything to you, doesn't have any mechanical impact on how your character goes, but a consequence might because it becomes an aspect. So you get these additional little aspects that go away after a little while. So let's say you took a mild consequence from um, this this attack on you. So the attack hits you, there's this guy hits you with his sword, and you come up and you get your shield in the way or whatever, so, um, but you take three stresses and you already got one there. So you can't fill that one box. You've got to put something in the consequence. So you've got three. It's going to go down to one. You still need to take that two box. That, that sucks. But so you'll take a minor consequence. And that might be you threw your shoulder out, getting the shield up. Okay. So that becomes an aspect that your opponents can tag. So a moderate would be, would be worth four stress boxes. And a severe would be worth six. Those will go away. Those, those do go away. And again, you have to recover. You have to make a roll and spend some time. So for a mild consequence, it's a whole scene. So the next scene that you're in, you will still be suffering from that consequence. That will still be there. And you must narratively recover. You must say what it is you're doing to recover. I mean, even if it's just like you've got a twisted ankle and you're walking it off you know, while you're escaping the madman, that's fine, but you still need to, to make that um, you still need to make that leap. You still need to make the roll to, to support that. You've got a moderate consequence that lasts the entire game session. So you, you know, it's going to be going to affect how you do things, and it's going to be invoked against you all the time. But you should start sort of playing it as part of your character. A severe is going to be the entire scenario, the entire game that you're playing. Think of it as like the the episode, or the um, you know, each session is like an episode. And each scenario is like a season in TV terms. So that's that's pretty substantial. That's going to stay on your character sheet for a long time. An extreme replaces 
one of the aspects of your character. So it becomes a permanent addition to your character. So it might be that you, you develop a, um, a phobia of something. It might be that um, you now walk with a limp for the rest of your life. Severe would say be a broken leg or a broken bone, that, that kind of level. But an extreme would be the thing that stays with you. Now, you have the choice of not having those things you know, take place. You can say, I don't want to take the consequence. And what happens is you are taken out. And that is that you're not killed, but you are taken out of the scene. If you're a, a player, um, it's, the, it's the players who determine how things are taken out of every scene. So if you, as a player, take out you know, some unnamed mook or whatever, you describe how you take them out. What it is you do. Do you kill them? Do you knock them out? Do you frighten them away? As a player, you also get to decide how it is that you get taken out of a scene. So if someone is battering the crap out of you, you say to the GM how it is that you would like to be taken out by that. Now, obviously, you can't dress that up too much. No, you are losing. You can't be too nice to yourself, but you don't have to die. There's Fate is not about characters dying. That is, that is basically all the mechanics. That's how Fate works. That's basically it. It's a very streamlined system, and getting the idea of aspects is difficult when you try and abstract it out. But once you start telling stories, it becomes clear. So next time you watch something on telly, think, what's that character's aspects? And try and, try and see what their aspects are. Um, because that's, that's often how they're thought of when they're, you know, putting these characters together. It becomes a lot more simple, a lot more straightforward. And you don't have to search through dice because you're only ever rolling the same thing. Alright, so, um, been talking a lot about, um, Fate Core. But earlier you mentioned um, Fate Accelerate, the Fate Accelerated system. What's the difference between these two? Fate Accelerated is um, it is a free PDF. You can buy the print book for a fiver, I think it is, or, or even less. And it is Fate stripped down so that it's it's just a very bare bone system. So rather than have, having to go through lots of complicated stuff about city creation, character creation, whatever, it, it slims it down to a very a very streamlined, very quick startup. Or makes it easy to pre generate characters and say, well roll with this, let's let's just do this. So you've got you can have a you can literally have a game in your pocket and say, right, let's play this. Um what happens with Fate Accelerator is you still have five character aspects. Because five is, is pretty much a golden number. There are various versions of this game like the Dresden Files or um Freeport or Spirit of the Century where you have different numbers of those things. But instead of skills, you have approaches. So instead of um, the possible, I think, 20-odd, 30-odd skills that you choose from, you have six approaches. That's careful, clever, flashy, forceful, quick, and sneaky. And that's it. And you, you determine, I think you get um, yeah, one, one good, two fair, two average, um, and one superb, I think, is how it goes. And you just determine which ones they are. So instead of saying, uh, I want to use this skill to do this thing, it's go, I'm going to go about this thing in a sneaky way. I'm going to do this in a, in a careful way. You just describe what you're doing, and the GM kind of figures out which one of those skills that you know, ticks that box. The stunts that you have as well, the stunts and the skills, we mentioned that earlier, um, are basically the same. In, in Fake Core, it comes up with a load of different examples for you. In Fake Accelerated, it gives you a sentence to complete. Um, and that basically is, when I do something with 
X approach in X situation, I get a bonus. Or I can use X approach in place of Y approach in certain situation. And you just you just complete that sentence. So as a uh, master GM, what are your tips for <laughs> what are your tips for having a good game, Fate? I am not a master GM. I've only GM'd one Fate game um, so far, but so I do modest read up. as well. Oh, shut up! Um, <laughs> um, I'm going to kill your next character first session. Um, so I, I haven't played that many games, but I have done a lot of research. I have listened to a lot of um, RPGs out there. And I would recommend, if people want a good idea of, of how to use the Fate system, then listen to our uh, Mist in the Mirror. Um, hopefully, once, we, once we've done it, we'll, we'll get slightly more complicated in how we use aspects and things like that. So hopefully we'll have a good example next session. But there's also the Rusak Gamers who do a good Fate game and the Knights of the Night podcast who do a Dresden Files Fate game. Which is a slightly different version of the system. It's a slightly earlier version. So there's different skills, there's different numbers of, um, fate points and refreshes and, uh, and stress boxes and things like that. But I think in the second series of that, they went to fate core. So it's a, it's a good thing to, to go and listen to, to that. But some of the things that, that have come out of, of doing this is that, um, thankfully Fred Hicks is really hands on. Uh, you know, he's, he's the, the head honcho over at, uh, Evil Hat Productions. And he tends to respond to people if they're posting on the, the, the fate website and looking for game, looking for tips. Um, and his advice tends to always be the same thing is if you're having trouble with how to do a certain thing is give it an aspect, make it, and make it a character. So for example, we were talking about maybe doing a Star Trek, um, game. So you'd have to tweak the, the skills, which is easy. And you have to come up with your own stunts, which is easy. But then how do you do a ship? You know, is, is your ship the setting? Well, it can't be because if it's Star Trek, the setting has to be the area in which you operate. It has to be the Federation of Planets or, you know, the neutral zone, wherever you are. So you can decide what is happening on a macro level. But your ship could be a character. And so the only thing your ship can do is attack and defend. Whereas your characters would be able to create advantages for the ship. So, um, you know, putting, if you've got an engineer, you can, um, make a role to create, make an engineering role to create an advantage of, uh, warp power to the shields, for example. And that would enable the ship to defend and invoke that aspect for free. Warp power to shields, I get a plus two, or we get a reroll. And you just take it in turns to roll for the ship. Um, even even things that are inanimate can have aspects. So if you've got a gun, for example, and you want to say, well, this is a really cool gun. Well, you give it the aspect of laser sight, let's say, or you give it the aspect of um, extra large mag, and, and you tag that aspect when you're in trouble. Um, or, you know, if you've got something where you can, um, let's say, take the gun example a bit further. Um, so you give it the aspect of trank rounds. So you have to make a roll to then sort of swap the mag out and do that. And that's you creating an advantage, putting the trank rounds in. Now it's got the aspect of trank rounds. Okay, I'm going to um, shoot this guy with, the, with with this thing. And that gives you a bonus. And so that you can take them out easier. So rather than shooting them dead, you shoot them with a trank round. It causes much more damage because you've applied so many shifts to it by invoking the aspect. So it knocks them out, takes them out of the scene. 
Whereas if you're just shooting a bullet at them, or that you wouldn't have invoked an aspect, and therefore it probably wouldn't have taken them out. Um, if that makes any sense. Does to me, yeah. What I would also do is, as a GM, always give the time for your players to invoke their aspects. Give them a prompt and say, is there an aspect you can tap um, or invoke? Um, I, I, I go with the Knights of the Night here because they, they keep bringing up the, the tap that aspect kind of thing because um, it's punnerific. Um, it makes more sense to me. But if you can invoke the aspects, is, is keep prompting your players. And say what is what it is you want to do. So uh, you know it's not can I make a roll about this that or the other. It's I want to do this thing, and it's up to the GM to figure out what role it is to do. So as the GM as well, I think it behooves you to. How often do you do you get to use the word behoove anyway? Um, it it behooves you to 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 not hose your players that much. If you're going to invoke an aspect of a player to screw them over a bit. Make sure it's moving the story along, because otherwise you're not going to have the buy-in. They're going to refuse all your compels. They're not going to have any fate points left. So they're going to get into into the situation where they have no fate points. They can't really do much because of that. And so they're having to accept all sorts of compels. What you can also do, and this this is something that, that comes out in discussion, is that players can invoke other characters' aspects for them. So you can compel an aspect on another player character and you pay them a fate point for it but that f- that fate point that you pay them comes out of the GM's pocket um, the GM has an inexhaustible supply of them so that's fine it just means that you don't have to pay your own fate point to compel something on another character You just it's almost like you're suggesting it to the GM and the GM compels them but you're just cutting out the middleman once you start doing that then you start getting into serious story because people are paying attention to other people's characters and that is that that's a good sign. Other than that, if you ever get stuck, then think about how you can compel things. Think about how you can move things on with an aspect. So if you don't know where things are going in a scene, think about the aspects of that scene. You don't have to have them planned out. You don't have to write them out. Write them out. It's just as and when it occurs to you, as and when a situation happens, you'll figure out the aspects on the scene. So, um, for example... Uh, if you've got uh, a really good aspect to have someone with, you know, uh, is their trouble aspect of I can't resist a mystery, you know, or um, I need to make a name for myself because you can immediately compel that any time you like. Just go, this is why you're going to break that door down. You know, this is why you're not going to do the sensible thing. You know, here, here's a here's a fake point. And as long as you make those compels drive the story, they'll still be fun for the players, and they won't resent you for it. <laughs> Hopefully. So, Alex, you've played a fake game. Mm-hmm. What would you say is your take-home from having played a game? So what do you think of the system? It's quite different from me in that I mostly play D&D nowadays. Yeah. So a lot of that is just rolling and seeing what happens, especially since we play quite a combat-heavy version of it. So with the fake game... It was a lot more sort of thinking about what you want to do and thinking what would drive the story forward. Hmm. You, you sort of get into your character a lot more rather than just shooting arrows at things, if you know what I mean. Yeah, um, I think, you know, if you if you specialise in doing one system and go, well, this is the best system for me, I'm not going to do anything other than that, you kind of, 
miss out on how other systems can improve your game. Um, certainly when we're playing D&D, I start thinking about things in terms of aspects and it gives me ideas. So, uh, you know, ways to move the story on or things to put in front of you. Things that I wouldn't necessarily have expected to come up. So, um, it's also a good way to start thinking about your character, I think. Like, you, you know, you roll this, this thing, you know, their, what's their background and this and that, but then what, what aspect do they have? Mm. You know, and it's and it gives you a thing that's vague enough that you can start playing with it. Yeah, I did like the um, pyramid system for starting up your skills. I thought that was really good. Yeah, I think it introduces balance in a really simple way. Um, I mean, the, the character sheet itself actually has a pyramid written on it. You know, it says you know, yeah. grayed out boxes. Um, so that, that say you know this is this general structure. There are ways you can play with it. Um, and, and the rule is generally that you just have to have more underneath than you have on top. So you can't have anything that's top heavy. You can't have any overhangs. So you can build it like a tower where it's all like three, three, two. Um, but you know, you have to have something underneath. If you, if you fit in a box, you have to have something underneath it is the thing. So you can't have three, two, three, for example. Mm. That, if that makes sense. I don't know. I just thought that was quite simple and elegant. <laughs> yeah. And generally speaking, it takes longer to run, um, you know, to get things going because you've got that game creation aspect of it. Mm. When we play Mist in the Mirror, I had all that done because it's based on a play, which in itself is based on a novel. So all of that, um, city creation, that, that scenario creation has already been done and it's a horror game. So a lot of the decisions have been taken out of the player's hands because it's horror and I need to be able to move you around. And the thing about horror is that you have a, a lack of control, whereas fate gives you an awful lot of control. So I've, I've sort of taken that away a bit. And that, I think that made it easier maybe for you guys as, as beginning players. Maybe. Mm. Um, um, I don't really have any frame of reference for like um, a game that we sort of built from scratch story-wise. So I only have this one to go from. Hmm. Oh, we will do, though. We will. I, I love the fate system. I think it's... I mean, it only came out a couple of years ago, but I think it's the next big thing. I think it's probably like like there was always D and D, and then there was D twenty or GURPS um, for years and years and years. Now it's going to be D and D and Fate. That's going to be the thing that people play. I think. All right. Um, it, it's because it, it's such a wide ranging thing. Mm. They've done it on the open license as well. So if you want to create settings for it. Uh, and people have, um, then you can create a setting and you can publish it and Evil Hat will help you. Um, you know, when I was creating my game in a card sleeve system prompts, um, Fred Hicks um, replied personally to my IP request. I mean, I don't make any money out of it, um, so he's absolutely fine with it, but he literally just went, yeah, that's brilliant, you know, do you want any help? And, you know, and, and he's just really, really, really nice with it. And if you go on to, um, say, fake community boards and things, you'll find that there's a lot of support and a lot of help in getting systems up and running. You know, I, I, um, I'm going to try and bully uh, Mike into doing um, a, Star, a Star Trek fake game. Mm-hmm. And there is a Star Trek setting out there created by a fan. Because it's non-profit, then the IP thing doesn't really matter. So you don't, you know, you don't have to pay Paramount, whoever it is, uh, owns the, the copyright. Um. But yeah, and, and but if you wanted, you could sit down and say, "Well, how does technology work?" And then that's how it works. 
Um, and it's cheap, and it's nice. The book it fits. The book fits in the bags. They designed the book so it fit in most bags. <laughs> um, if you're, I don't know what the actual measurements are, but in European it's close to an A5 size book, um, maybe slightly larger than A5. Um, the character sheets fit on one side of A5. The um, the book itself has a cheat sheet in the back. It's it's two sides, and that's all the rules. And they're not condensed either. That's just all the rules. That's it. <laughs> um, and Fate Accelerated fits. Will fold up and fit in your pocket. It's you know, um, you can print out a version yourself, which is um, sort of a booklet,ed formatted thing that you can do, and fold it up. So you print it off on A4, and it prints out four pages a side. You know, you put it together, you fold it up, and you're done. It will fit in your back pocket. Um, so I think this, I think this is going to take off a lot, and it gives you a lot of freedom. It gives you a lot of ability to tell a story. I think it's it's one of the big storytelling games out there. Um, whereas, say with with D and D, the mechanics don't tell a story. The mechanics help you tell the story. Whereas in Fate, the mechanics are the story. If you don't have a story, you can't play it. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So. The Fate system is owned and distributed by Evil Hat Productions. The song was Grind by John Paul Jones. Any questions, comments and feedback, you can get to us on swordnutradio at gmail.com. That's swordnutradio at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. Cats are awesome. <laughs> They're all the relationships over there. Mock. <laughs> yeah, sorry about that. Um, it's alright. Um, and the entire family decided to FaceTime me. <laughs> They're a good bunch. Ooh, that was slightly better, wasn't it? Yeah, that felt more professional. <laughs> <laughs>